All right, friends, welcome again. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. As many of you know, we have been studying through the book of Acts, and the story of Acts is written by a man named Luke uh, in the first century. Um, and, and he uh, he, tell, he told in the in the Gospel of Luke um, the story of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And now in the book of Acts that we're studying through now, um, he's telling the story of the beginning of the church, how the Holy Spirit and God were working powerfully to accomplish incredible things, and the church was growing rapidly. Uh, we just came into a section, though, where persecution has begun to break out against the church. The Jewish leaders that had Jesus crucified are now uh, torturing and, and killing and trying to dispel the followers of Jesus, the beginning of the church. Um, so last week we talked about a man named Stephen, and we listened to kind of the bookends, the beginning and end of his story, uh, as he is arrested for speaking about Jesus, arrested for performing uh, miraculous signs, and people are beginning to follow and listen, who, you know, who is this Jesus guy, they're asking. Well, the Pharisees um, and the Sadducees, the religious rulers of the day, well, they're, they're jealous and they're upset, and they bring all sorts of charges against Stephen. They say, you're trying to ruin all of our customs and all of the way we live as Israelites. You're, you're speaking against Moses and our forefathers, right? So those are the charges they've brought against Stephen. And then last week, we listened to the end of the story as, uh, as they take him outside the city and, and they stone him to death. Uh, he, he lose, he, he's the first story of a, of a martyr, a man to lose his faith in the Bible that, that we read here in the New Testament, that is. And so, um, so we read the story of Stephen, and what we left out, uh, or what we just very briefly mentioned last week, was this middle section of the story, all of chapter 7. It's a long account where Stephen justifies his understanding of God through the Old Testament leading up through Christ. Now, this is going to be a long reading. I've asked Wynette if she'll read for us this morning. Um, I'd love for you to just sit back and relax and listen to the story that unfolds as Stephen defends his stance on the Israelite people in, in relation to the Messiah, to Jesus. All right, so sit back and listen. Now keep. All right. Acts chapter 7. <laughs> Got it. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of the country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom 
and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the, from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt, Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler over Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, 
Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time that they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god Raphen, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels, but have not obeyed it. All right. Thank you. A lot of text and a long story, primarily because it covers the course and story of the Old Testament, the course and story, the history of the Israelite people. Again, in the context, as we, as we listen to this story, um, much of uh, Stephen's story, much of Stephen's description of Israelite, uh, of the people of Abraham, of the Israelite people, um, is, is probably still veiled to us. I chose this morning to, to let us listen to the full narrative, wanting Scripture to get to do a lot of the speaking as we tell this story. I want to speak a little bit this morning in our context, in understanding the flow that is the Old Testament and into Jesus. Here's, here's what I believe. Without the context and the story of the Old Testament, Testament, without the, the stories and the realization of the way God worked through the Israelite people, uh, Jesus does not make sense as the Messiah and hope for the world. Because it is, it's out of Israel that the, the Messiah is born. And it's out of the context of God's work through these people that Jesus comes to make sense as a Messiah. So I want to talk this morning and, and, and talk through this story a little bit and try to understand um, the value and importance of these stories. Now, if you grew up like me, if you grew up going to a church, as a kid, you heard a lot of these stories. Um, but there's a good chance that it was later in life or maybe still yet to happen that the narrative that is Scripture, the story tracks from beginning to end, that, that it clicked. That it's like, oh, I, I get it. I see how it fits together. 
It's very easy to, to take scripture and, and take isolated stories or isolated scriptures and say, okay, I can learn a lesson from that, and that's very valuable. But to see the flow, that's, that's my dream this morning. You know, it's interesting, someone who speaks weekly, like you want to have this topic that's just, oh, wow, that's fascinating and incredible. Today, we're talking church history. You know, we're talking the history of the Israelite people, and it's kind of ordinary, but I do want to challenge us um, to tune in, to participate, because it is pivotal to the story of Jesus as the Messiah. So begin with this man named Abraham. And Stephen's story begins with a man named Abraham. God comes to a man named Abraham. Uh, you can read more about this in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12 and, and following if you want to. Um, but he comes to a man named Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want to demonstrate to the world my goodness through my participation with you and your people. Now, Abraham's old, but God says, you will have a child and you will have a, a nation. Uh, many, as, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Like, you will become a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. But here's the purpose of my blessing, is that my blessing be distributed to the world. So this is pivotal. Uh, a covenant with two parts. The Israelites' invitation, Abraham's people's um, participation in God's mission and bringing goodness to the world, shining like a light to the nations, is what Scripture speaks of. And then God's part of bringing blessing and, and, and right relationship into the lives of these Israelite people. So Abraham did have a son, in fact. In their old age, Abraham and his wife had a son named Isaac. In time, Isaac had a son named Jacob. And again, you can read more about those if you'd like to. Um, uh, the, the, the story of Genesis tracks the beginning of these Israelite people. And then Jacob, uh, he's also called Israel. He, he's, he's given a new name called Israel, the, the name of the nation. And Israel has 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons, and uh, the 12 of them will become the tribes of Judah. You'll, you'll read more about them later uh, throughout the Old Testament. And so the 12 tribes of Judah, but at this point, um, the story begins to fracture. Not that it hadn't already if we looked in more detail, but it begins to fracture because 11 of, of uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. They tell their father, oh, he was killed by an animal out in the, in the desert, but in fact, uh, they had sold him to slave traders. He finds himself in Egypt where God is faithful to Joseph and elevates him to the second in charge of all of Egypt. Pharaoh highly respects and appreciates him. And in time, Joseph receives a vision saying that there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest and then seven years of famine. And, and so uh, the Pharaoh believes him and understands this vision that, that he had received. And, and so he puts Joseph in, star, in charge of all of the storehouses of Egypt. Let me back up to say one thing about this. Um, Abraham and his followers, at this point, the story told us 75 of them, uh, were living in Canaan, were living in this promised land that God had given to them. Abraham trusted in God and immediately moved towards this promised land, but they were just foreigners, a few people in a vast and powerful land and country, right? before they go to Egypt. So Joseph is put in charge of all the storehouses of Egypt, and in time, uh, the famine comes. And, and God's people, uh, these 75 Israelites, they find themselves in need. So they travel down to Egypt, where someone had been storing up grain. In time, Joseph reveals himself to his family, invites his family to move there, and the Israelites become numerous and powerful in the land of Egypt. Not much later, though, sometime later, a new pharaoh came to be. 
and um, and enslaved the Israelite people, fearful uh, that, that they could overthrow the entire nation of Egypt at this point. So they're enslaved for some 400 years when God brings Moses on the scene. And I'll be very brief on his story. His is probably one of the ones we're more familiar with. Uh, but Moses um, uh, is raised in the house of Pharaoh under some spectacular circumstances, uh, ends up coming back uh, later in life and leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt and to the promise land. We read about their, their failures, turning back to the gods of Egypt. Even after the powerful signs God had performed to, to see them out of Egypt, they find themselves wandering in the desert, confused and turning back to other gods. But in fact, God was faithful again to his promise in spite of the brokenness, the messiness of the people involved in the story. And so in time, um, uh, Joshua leads the Israelite people into the promised land, into Israel. And they conquer. God drives out the nations of that land. They conquer the entire land of Canaan. This is a fertile, beautiful, and a highly desired space that God had promised to a man named Abraham. And, and, and centuries later, Abraham's people, now numerous, have found themselves in the land. And as Stephen tells the story, there's this pinnacle moment, right? They had had this tabernacle in the desert, this place of worship in the desert. But now that they have conquered the land, they get to make it their own. And they build in Jerusalem the temple. And you read a lot about Jesus at the temple when, you know, when, when we're reading in the New Testament, the gospel stories. Well, the temple was central to the Israelite people. Like this was the culmination. Right? For centuries, for, for generation after generation, they dreamed of this promise that God had made to them. I'll give you a land and they arrive. And so they build the most beautiful and ornate temple they could. The temple becomes the central place for their worship, right? This is where all their, their, uh, religious, uh, exercises, practices, and, 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 uh, revolve around this place, the temple, because this is where God would dwell. And Stephen throws this interesting twist into the story. He says, but God can't be confined to a place that human hands have made, right? He said, God is so much bigger than that. Now, those would be hard words for Israelite people to hear because this is the culmination of their story. We have our land. We have received our promise, right? But, but God can't be confined just to a temple. So... um and at the end of his speech, after he's described, I appreciate Moses, I appreciate our tradition, uh, he comes to an extremely important realization, um, and one that I want us to realize. As we read stories, especially in the Old Testament, but throughout Scripture, as we read the narrative that is Scripture, the primary character in these texts is God. It's extremely easy to read into them and think the primary character is the person or the character that the story is being told about. The, but, the, but the primary character that is the narrative of Scripture is God and the work that he's doing. Stephen pulls that out in, in, in quite clear terms, I think, as he tells the story to the Israelite, it would be quite clear. You see, he spoke of the brokenness and the weakness of humanity. He spoke of the inability of the Israelites to live up to their end of the covenant. He spoke of the fact that they kept falling short. But look at what the main character, God, in the story does throughout. God continues to restore. He continues to redeem. He continues to send new prophets to say there is still hope for our people in their broken times in Israel's history. 
So Israel ends up uh, in, in exile, uh, as, as Stephen referenced in here. Uh, after some time dwelling in Canaan, this was, this was a desired land. So other nations came and conquered them. And you read stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men dragged off to Babylon when the Babylonian Empire ruled the world, right? And, and so had conquered Israel. And so it was in the season of exile, as people had been drug off to other nations, conquered by other places, that... Um, that uh, the prophets came and spoke to people. They said, there is a Messiah coming. There is a hope. A king of the line of David will be restored to the throne. Be- before before we f- uh, finish out and, and shift gears and talk a little bit about us, roll the slide for me. And I just want to show you just a little bit more of this big picture. Um, yeah, here we go. So if, if you're wanting to learn more about any of those pieces of the story, um, you'll see the first five books of the Old Testament. They're called the Pentateuch or the books of the law. And that's the story of the fi- founding of the Israelite nation, Moses giving the law to them in the book of Deuteronomy there. Um, beyond that is the story of the history of Israel. So these are the historical books, right, um, that, that, that you can read, 12 books of, of history. And then five of poetry, a, a couple of those we're pretty familiar with, Psalms, or Proverbs, we might have spent time reading in those, but this is poetic writing of the people of Israel. After that comes these prophets. The people are in exile, and so the prophets begin speaking to the people, turn back to God, and God will restore our nation. We've got the major and the minor prophets. Um, so that's the way that's the way the Old Testament kind of flows. Uh, the reason I tell you this is because um, I would love for us to be people who uh, don't entirely hinge our understanding of God on what happens here for an hour on Sunday, but people fascinated by the story of these people, fascinated by the connections and the way the story of God uh, culminates in this character of Jesus. Okay, so here's where I want to go today. Here's where I want to go. Um, Stephen wanted to enlighten them to the fact that um, the entire story of Moses and the Israelite people culminates in this man, Jesus. But, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were blinded to it. They had no, no lens through which they could perceive Jesus to be this Messiah. They wanted the king to rule on the throne again. We want, we want our nation back. We want a king. We want to be powerful and in the best land in our region. But that was not to be. Jesus came as a surprise culmination to the story of these Israelites. But here is why Jesus, as the surprise answer to Israel, is, is so vital. You see, the story that, that, that Stephen told, the story that's told through the Old Testament, is one of the frailty of humanity, the inability of humanity to grasp God and his great mission, but the absolute faithfulness of God in spite of the shortcomings of his people. So after many prophets had come and said to the Israelite nation, will you turn back to God and find yourself restored? God sends his son. He sends Jesus. God in human flesh. And what's fascinating about the character of Jesus and the story of Jesus as the answer not just to Israel but to the whole world is that in Jesus, the sacrifice that he makes, the um, persecution of the world, all this wrath poured out on this one man who then is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. Remember, God promised to this Israelite nation he would bless all the nations of the world. And truly, in the character of Jesus, in his calling of 12 apostles, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, God fulfills his promise in spite of the people's resistance to it. You see, through Jesus, new hope 
was offered. The mission is opened, as we'll read through the book of Acts, open to the Gentile world. And the story of Christ begins to transform the face of the world. And truly hasn't it today? I mean, we are those people across the world that have come to know the miraculous work of God that in spite of humanity's frailties, God is incredibly faithful to his promise. God's promise of a good land and restoration and hope. And we now live into that promise today. I want to mention... Uh, um, I'll just briefly mention this, and I'd I'd like to go further, but I I can't today. Tim Keller wrote a really interesting article. It's called Deconstructing Defeater Beliefs. You see, the problem that Stephen faces is these Israelite people are unable to grasp because of their cultural and, and just paradigms and thought processes, they are unable to realize Jesus as the Messiah. And I want to mention today, as we kind of equate this to our place in life and our story, uh, that we too, culturally and, and rationally, have these defeater beliefs in our lives. That is a, a, a conclusion built upon some presupposition, like, well, if this is the case, then no, it couldn't be true. And these are the things that blinded these rights. Ours today might look a little bit, a, a little bit different. You might have heard people say these. In fact, I think a number of us in this room struggle with one or more of these things. These are those those big questions that you say, just how can this be? And that so often blind us from seeing Jesus as the answer. Christianity is too exclusive. What about other religions? I'll let you read Tim Keller's uh, description of that later if you're interested in it. Uh, But he says, this is a self-defeating argument in that the assumption or, or, or to, to come at Christianity and say you can't have an exclusive belief is in fact in and of itself an exclusionary belief, right? It is, it is pressing that same circular thought process back on Christianity. So he says that's self-defeating. Um, many people uh, have said, well, how can God be both powerful and loving? I mean, look at the evil and suffering in the world. How could God be good and powerful if there's so much evil and suffering? And these are big questions, and I'm, I'm going to name them, and I'm going to briefly mention some thought processes behind them, but I, I do want to name them. I want to say these are the things that people around us are struggling with and asking. Maybe they're the things we're struggling with, and these are good questions to ask. These are good things to seek answers for. Um, he says, in, in light of all the evil and suffering in the world, uh, he says this is the fascinating thing uh, that sets Christianity apart from any other religion. In the story of Christianity, God stepped into that suffering, took it upon himself to free the world from it. That's a fascinating twist in the plot and the story. He says, uh, hypocrisy it has to be one of the greatest challenges Christianity faces. The people that we know in church history, I mean, the crusades and terrible things that have happened in the name of Christ surely stand in the way of people realizing Jesus for who he is and as good. Uh, but here's the thing. Rather than drawing away then, doesn't it invite us to portray a true and a good Christianity to the world? 
He says, don't let this defeat you, but instead live into the good and redemptive and loving work that God is doing. And then finally, the, the Bible, people will question its reliability. I hope today was interesting for you as we look at the flow. Not a, not a compilation of random stories, right? But a book with a flow and a conclusion and a climax in this man of Jesus. He says, look at the Gospels. I mean, these are carefully um, written historical accounts of who this man was, who lived 2,000 years ago. These aren't mythical stories, but instead stories of a man who, who lived and walked on earth, right? So in our culture today, we have these defeater beliefs, like, like, uh, like the um, Pharisees and Sadducees that, are, that, that kill Stephen at the end of the story. Have, we have these things in our lives that get in the way of us perceiving Jesus as the Messiah. I'll tell you what. These questions are too big. Uh, in this case, they totally rejected it. And some of us today might be thinking, I'm just I'm still not sure about this Jesus guy in that story. That's okay. That's, that's all right. Um, what, what I want to invite us to, uh, to consider is the journey that we're on as a people. Uh, just the beginning of this church and what will continue to develop. We're people who continue to ask questions of who Jesus is and the impact it has on us and the world around us. What I, what I want to invite us to is really kind of, in, in a way, almost silly because we're sitting here together doing it, but I want to ask us to go on a journey together, the journey that we have begun. Let's explore how God is working in the world around us. Let's look carefully at where the Spirit is at work in the Tri-Cities and how we can walk alongside God in his mission because it is good and because Many of us and much of the world around us is blinded to the goodness and the hope that is found in this message. Let's go on a journey together where we seek to know more of God, where we seek to experience more of God, and we seek to participate in the good mission that he has for his church and for his people. I want to invite you this morning, if if this has raised questions and challenges for you, good. I'm really happy about that. But don't live in isolation with those questions or doubts or concerns. So let's have coffee. Reach out to someone you trust here. I, I'd gladly sit with you. And let's talk a little bit more about this narrative and the culmination that is Jesus. I want to invite you this morning. If you are ready to ask questions and if you are ready to go deeper in faith, if you want to know more about this character of Jesus, let's sit and talk a little bit more. Go on that journey together of exploration. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the time we have together this morning. Thank you for uh, the story of Stephen. As tragic as its conclusion is, Father, like last week, we realized that he was willing to give his life for a truth so deep, so penetrating in his life that, Father, it was everything. And so, Father, uh, thank you for a time to hear his story, uh, to glimpse into the story of these Israelite people through whom you have uh, brought a Messiah, a hope for the world. Father, help us to, uh, to realize more of that story, to realize, to know more of Jesus. And Father, uh, as we are invited into, into that mission, into your good work, Father, I pray that you will give us courage and wisdom and guidance as we seek to be your be your people uh, as we invite your transformation in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hope to see you real soon. God bless you. Have a great week.